0: Savior you are our mighty king you are our mighty conqueror who gave us everything you are rich in mercy great in power unbelievable in strength and yet filled with the joy of knowing that it is finished you have given birth to your church you have given us a holy calling and you are coming back for us so we lift up our eyes unto the hills from whence cometh our help for our help comes in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach Jesus the Christ the Almighty God. In Jesus' name, we come together and we pray. Amen.
1: Today begins, at least in our thinking, uh, Holy Week. Today is uh, Palm Sunday, as we call it. The, the And we, we read of the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. Um, and as I looked and prepared and first of all um i have to con- i have a confession to make you don't want to hear confessions do you <laughs> i'm going to do it anyway see i've been so focused on first corinthians that i forgot until sunday afternoon last week that easter was coming up <laughs> and so i'm thinking wow what text, and I think I was reminded when um, uh, when Vicky texted me and said, what are you preaching for uh, Palm Sunday? <laughs> it may not have been her exact words, but that, I said, like, wait a minute, it's Palm Sunday. And so I thought, well, I'm going to preach the triumphal entry. That's what I'm going to preach. But the question is, which one? And, uh, and so as I started looking, I started thinking, there's so much between Sunday, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, and Sunday, resurrection Sunday. So today, we're preaching from um, Matthew chapter 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, and 26. (laughs) (laughs) The whole thing. All of it. And so, um, we'll pause for you to order lunch in a little while. See, see, this is why I love you guys. You understand that really not doing that, you laugh at it, you didn't get up and walk out. Uh, Well, one is... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she'll be back, um no, but here's what I'm planning on doing um and and even as i I'm going to do a sermon every week, i mean every day this week, nobody's going to be here we're going to record it we're going to put it out on Facebook okay it's going to be probably on the, the our youtube channel and our on on uh our website, all those kind of things and so Timothy and I are working on that, and we're going to break down all the things that we see and so that we can actually get um a full picture of Holy Week. Amen. Now, Amen. There, are, there are times when I come in on Sunday morning and I'm going, this is, oh, every Sunday morning, what I'm meant to do. I mean, I love everything else I do most of the time, driving a bus, substitute teaching, those kind of things. But Sunday morning when I'm coming in, working on the message to finish it up so I can be ready for this, this is what I love. And so I thought, we're just going to give it a shot. We're going to try. So we're going to go through, and I'll give you the scriptures each day as what we're going to do. But today, we're going to start just simply with Matthew chapter 21, 1 through 17. Now, I'll tell you that Mark and Matthew didn't always see eye to eye. All right? So if you read in Matthew, it looks like in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, 1 through 17, that he cleanses the temple on Palm Sunday. If you read Mark, okay, um, in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 11, verses 15, it looks like he leaves before he cleanses the temple. And then on Monday, he comes back and cleanses the temple. So we're going to read this and talk about this. But tomorrow, we'll probably cover the cleansing a little bit more also, okay? So today, your text is Matthew chapter 21, 1 through 17, and, uh, um, and I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand as you read the scripture, if you're able. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then multitudes... Who went before, and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God, and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. (laughs) Have you never read Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for what we can learn. Father, I pray that you will open your word to us today, (coughs) as we open our hearts to it. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) And you may be seated. You know, as we look at this text, the first thing it says, now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, one of the things that that I noticed, um, I don't remember when I noticed it, but there was a time where you read of Jesus and he set his eyes to go to Jerusalem. And I mean, and and honestly, that was the whole purpose. That's everything he came for so that he could go to Jerusalem, so that he could die on the cross, so that he could um, suffer the punishment for sin. So you don't have to. And so I don't have to. Okay, that's what he came for. But there was a time in his ministry where that at that point wasn't his focus. He wasn't ready yet to go to Jerusalem. He was preaching the gospel. He was healing people, telling people about the kingdom of God. But then he set his eyes to go to Jerusalem. And now here comes this final week of his life. The final of his earthly life, the final week where he's going to go into Jerusalem, he's going to be examined by the chief priests, he's going to be examined by, by the, the Sadducees and everybody who had anything against him. They're going to try to prove that he is not the perfect son of God, that he cannot be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because he's not really the son of God. And so he goes in and he's starting there and he goes, now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, 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 um, that quite simply means um, uh, house of figs. Anytime you see the word Beth, B-E-T-H, that's the word that means house. Okay? So if you see Bethphage, house of figs. Bethlehem, anybody know that one? House of bread, right? What about Bethel? Anybody know that one? E-L means God. So Bethel is house of God, all right? So anytime you see that in the scripture, you know that that's talking about some kind of a house or a city. So Bethel was a city named house of God. Uh, Bethlehem was a city named house of bread. Bethphage was a city named um, house of figs. It's appropriate as we look at this that that we see this house of figs because, uh, and it was so close to Jerusalem and it's also close to the Mount of Olives. There's a lot of, And and when I say symbolism in here, I don't want you to think that it's not all true, okay? Because there really was a city named Bethphage. There really was a Mount of Olives, and in fact, it's still there. And yet, with all of that, the fig tree was a symbol of the nation of Israel. And so he drew near to Bethphage, the city of figs, where... uh, where people would see the symbolism of the country of Israel, the nation of Israel there. And as he did, he came near to the Mount of Olives. And when he got to, and the Mount of Olives is interesting too, um, because on the Mount of Olives, there was what, anybody know what there was on the Mount of Olives? There was a garden, right? What was that garden? What do they call it? The Garden of Gethsemane. Does anybody know what Gethsemane means? I learned this through the videos that we watch on Sunday nights, okay? A, Gethsemane is, a, a Gethsemane is an olive press. Isn't it interesting, interesting that they would have a Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives because there they had the olives, and it would make sense that you would have an olive press on the Mount of Olives so that you could press the olives, so that you could get the uh, olive oil out of the olives. They used olive oil for a lot of things. One of them was to um, to light their lamps, okay? Now, they used olive oil for other things, to anoint kings, to anoint priests, um, for all kinds of anointings, okay? And so the olive oil was important, and, um, and the fig trees were important. All of them were very uh, symbolic, real, but also symbolic to the Hebrew people. And so he goes past... Bethphage, uh, and at the Mount of Olives, and then when he got there, he sent two of his disciples and told them to go into the village, go into the village opposite you, the one over here, basically, is kind of what that means, um, and get the colt, get the um, <laughs> the donkey and the colt. Uh, immediately, you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her, loose them and bring them to me. Now, there's some interesting things about all of this, um, because we can ask the question, did Jesus... Just in his omniscience, know that there would be a colt and a donkey there. Did he, or did he set it up with the owner ahead of time? Okay, um, and and you know, I wasn't there and I didn't ask him. Okay, um, and I'm not really sure it it matters a whole lot. I uh, he was God. He is God. There's no there. there there's there's I cannot doubt that he just knew that was going to be there, okay? I have no scriptural evidence for that, but there's no um, way you can disprove that either. Some people would say, he knew this guy ahead of time. He set this up ahead of time. He made sure that this guy would have a colt there, and he talked to the man and said, I'm going to need this on this day, and I'm going, I'm just not really sure that's what Jesus did. And there's no scriptural evidence or proof for that. Jesus was and is God, and because he was and is God, he is omniscient, he knew all things. Amen. You know, I mean, the Bible tells us he, because he knew the hearts of the men, guess what? He knew what they were going to do and what they were going to say. He knew that there was going to be a cult there. By the way, since he was God, he could also make sure there's one there, okay? Okay? He didn't have to just know it, he could make it happen, okay? Um, and so, so, you know, it's kind of a, a moot point, moot question, which one was the answer to that, um, But he knew it was going to be there. And he said, You're going to find a colt, you're going to find a donkey, and you're going to find a colt. Bring them both to me. And the scripture tells us here in verse 4 All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now I have some interesting thoughts about all that, and, um, and, and I hope they're not heretical. Because I look at this and I read this, and I think, you know, when we read something that says, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled. I look at what Zechariah wrote here, and um, and Zechariah said it, okay, because Jesus was going to do it, all right? So when it, whenever I read something that says, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, I'm going, okay, so they said it, so Jesus has to do it, right? Did he do it to fulfill it, or did they – did he – say it so or did he do it so they had to say it All right besides you look at this prophecy uh from Zechariah Zechariah 9 9 is where we find that and God knew and Jesus knew before Zechariah said it that this was going to happen right right? Yes. right right God knew that Jesus was going to need this donkey and this fall before Zechariah said that the king was going to come on one of those right And so we could skip this prophecy, couldn't we? Why is the prophecy there? For us to see that Jesus Christ is Messiah. It's not there for him to fulfill it. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because I'm not sure I'm saying it as well as I thought I could. Zechariah said it because Jesus was going to do it, not Jesus did it because Zechariah said it. Okay? Okay? Jesus was not following the orders of Zechariah as part of Zechariah's prophecy. So, so I bring that up because we've got to see the omniscience and the ever-presence and the um, omnipotence of God in Jesus Christ. He was, as always will be, powerful enough to make all that stuff happen. If God planned it from the beginning of time, even if Zechariah never prophesied it, Jesus still would have done it, okay? You remember that bumper sticker that I always used to hate so much that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it? You remember that one? Anybody ever see those things? They were like 10 years ago. Well, God said it, that settles it, okay? Whether you believe it or I believe it, doesn't matter. It's still fact because God said it, not because you believe it or because I believe it, okay? And so, it did not take Zechariah prophesying this for Jesus to do it, okay? However, it's important that it's there, this prophecy of Zechariah, so that we can see that Jesus Christ is the prophesied Messiah, that he is the one that God planned for from the beginning of time or even before that, okay? So, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, tell the daughter of Zion, tell Jerusalem. Uh, and, and there's a warning here. Behold, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. you. You think about what they wanted. They were being ruled by the Romans. They were tired of that. Okay. Uh, if you think about this, this time, this 400 years of silence, when, when all the prophets um, stopped hearing from God. They weren't prophesying anymore because God wasn't telling them to anymore, okay? And there were some guys called the Maccabees, okay? And they were fighting for the freedom of the Hebrew people to keep them free from the Romans and others. They hated being under Roman rule. And that's what they were hoping for in a Messiah, somebody who would come and who would chase the Romans out so that they could have their own uh, king who would rule them like David had. That's what they were looking for. That's the kind of Messiah they were hoping for. They weren't looking for the kind of Messiah that Jesus came as, or that Jesus was, or that Jesus is. They were looking for a Messiah who would conquer and kill, wipe out the Romans, chase them away, never let them come back, and they would rule themselves again. And remember, even think about the disciples. You know, um, They wanted to sit at his right and his left hand, and they weren't thinking about a heavenly kingdom. Okay, And when Jesus was put on trial, are you a king? And the answer was not of this world, but everybody thought he was talking about being a king of this world. And when he came in this way um, on a colt, on a, on, on, a, on a donkey, and a, a colt, the foal of a donkey, what he was saying was, I'm coming in peace. I'm not coming to conquer and kill. Yes. Don't look for that kind of a king. And they misunderstood that. They, they didn't get the picture. Um, uh, your, do- your king is coming to you lowly or meek, meek not here to fight. If a conquering king was to come in, he wouldn't come in on a donkey. He would come in on a white stallion. He would come in with a crown on. He would come in with a with with the armies following behind him. And and he would come in with his army following behind and the prisoners that they had taken following behind them with ropes tied around their necks. Okay? That's not how he was coming. He was coming as a king that would die for them. Not as one who would kill for them? But they wanted one, and they thought they were getting one, who was going to kill the Romans and chase them out of their country. So your king comes, lowly, sitting on a donkey, on the colt of a donkey. Again, not a um, not the way that a conquering king would come in. Not the way um, that somebody who was intended to um, to come in fighting would normally come in. Um, and so he came in differently. Because there was a, a different way for him to conquer. He wasn't there to conquer the Romans. He was there to conquer our hearts, to win our hearts, to win the battle of sin, death, hell, and the grave. And so he came on a fold. The disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And so we look at this thing, and, and um, we kind of talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. Uh, this whole idea of um of god telling us to do something that's just really weird you think about the 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 apostles the disciples and i don't know which two went in it doesn't tell us uh here in matthew anyway um but can you imagine being the two disciples that jesus said go into this house over here and you're going to find a donkey and you're going to find a colt get them and if the master says what are you doing say the lord has need of them All right, so today that would equate, uh, that would equate to um, me saying to you or somebody saying to you, hey, go over to the house over here and get in your car, the keys of your ignition, bring the car to me, and if the master says, what are you doing, say, uh, if, if the owner says, what are you doing, say, well, Pastor Curtis needs your car. <laughs> I'm thinking grand theft auto is not a really good idea today, okay? <laughs> Alright, but Pastor Curtis told me to, No. So you think about what he's telling these guys to do, and they're going, this is really weird, but again, who's telling them? Yeah, God, Jesus Christ, and what is he? He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, right? And so I'm thinking, all right, we and, and I'm not sure they really understood that completely, that he was all-powerful and that he was all-knowing yet, but we do, right? And so when God tells us to do something that we just think is kind of weird, it's like, he knows the beginning from the end. He knows how this is all going to pan out. When, and, and here, by the way, you've got to be careful that you're hearing God's voice when you hear something weird like this. Okay, Make sure it's God's voice and not mine, all right, or somebody else's or Satan's. You've got to make sure you're hearing his voice. But if he tells you to do something, then guess what? Don't doubt what he says. Get on with it. And you notice what else it says here for them? It says they went and did it. There's, there's no. Now, I've got to tell you, I believe. That if there was any kind of argument or discussion, it would have been in here. Because a lot of times they're questioning Jesus and it's in the scripture, right? So if they had questioned Jesus, doubted, asked him, what are you talking about? Sure? Are you sure of this? I mean, we can get in a lot of trouble for taking these animals. I don't think it was there. I don't think it happened. I think their obedience to him at this point was immediate. I, I don't think they hesitated. I think they had, they they knew, I don't know if they knew everything, they knew something was up. They knew that Jesus was going to do something, something amazing, and they were going to be a part of it, and they just needed to obey. Even their little part of going and get the donkey and the colt, they got to be a part of what Jesus was going to do. And so they went and they got the, the donkey, they got the colt, they brought them to Jesus, and they put their clothes on him, on the animal. Now, I've never ridden a donkey. Anybody here ever ridden a donkey? Okay, have you? Are they nice and clean? and? Um, absolutely, he says. Yes, no, they're not. I mean, and so if I'm going to give you my outer coat or my suit jacket, you know, uh, I'm probably going to give you something else to put on that donkey so that you can sit on it. They, they, you know, they gave him what they had, you know, so that he wouldn't have to sit on that stinky, smelly donkey. But that means, guess what? When they got their outer coat back, it probably was. Okay? And so they obeyed Jesus, and they gave him what they had so that he could sit on that donkey. And you think about it. You think about what we, we hear Jesus wore, a white robe, right? You don't want that on a donkey. I'm sorry. You know? You just don't. So they gave him a coat, right? Uh, their coat, so that he could... Right on that donkey. And in both of these things, in the obedience and the giving the coat, they were paying homage to Jesus Christ. All right? They were honoring him as their Lord. Now, I'm not convinced, again, that they knew he was going to be this kind of a king, but they were doing what they understood to do, and um, they were doing it to honor him and to, and even to worship him, um, and maybe even to help him along, okay, in his road to the kingship. All right? So they brought their and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, what I've heard is that um, that this very great multitude may have been somewhere around 2 million people. Now, you don't know if they were all right out there. There were some of them in front of him, some of them behind him, and they were all praising him, Hosanna to the king, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when they laid those palm branches down and when they said this and quoted this, um, what I've read is that... That was a cry for a warrior king. They weren't looking for a soft-spoken, lowly Messiah. They were proclaiming him as the one who would conquer. Save now, son of David. Hosanna, save now, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save now, Hosanna in the highest. And so as he, and and again, I'm just kind of thinking, if I had a coat, I'm going to put it down in front of maybe people walking, but not in front of a donkey. You never know what they're going to do when they need to do it, okay? See, you get it. I don't have to say it. You get it. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? Who is this? Matthew chapter 16 and in Mark chapter 8, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them, who do the people say that I am? And I love that because he doesn't say, you know, he says, who do the people say that I am? (laughs) I am, you know, Yahweh, the ever existent one, okay? The one who has always existed, exists even now and always will exist. I am who do the people say that I am? And they say, "Well, son, say some say you're you're Isaiah, some say uh, you're John the Baptist, and they give other names." And he says, "Now, who do you say that I am?" And I like the, and, and this is another reason why I say Matthew and Mark don't always agree because their account is a little bit different. But in Matthew, um, uh, Peter says, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." Yeah. In Mark, he says. You are the Christ. And that's where it ends. It doesn't say you are the Christ the son of the living God. So there's a little bit of difference in the way in what they remembered and in the way they they wrote things down. But Peter, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so when we get to this text right here, everybody's asking who is this? Oh, and by the way, remember what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Simon bar Jonah because Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, right? And so what he's saying is, you got it, Peter. That's who I am. I am Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're right, Peter. And so when they ask this question here and they say, who is this? Their answer is true, but it's not complete. Who is this? The multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Yes, he's a prophet. Yes, it was Jesus. Yes, he's from Nazareth of Galilee. But he is Jesus the Christ, Yeshua Mashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, Amen. the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Amen. They had the answer or part of it, but not the whole thing. You now, as we look around. Uh, In our world today, we see people who have some of the answer. Oh, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Yeah, he was a good man. Remember what uh, uh, C.S. Lewis said about Jesus? He was either Lord, liar, or lunatic. And when you rule out the idea of being that good of a liar for a human, guess what? I mean, none of us could make up that many lies, or being completely crazy. You're not going to follow either one of those guys. So the answer is Jesus Christ is Lord. The answer, who is who is this? He is Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And to kind of uh, and, and and we could keep going, okay, but I'm gonna I'm gonna halt there. Because I want you to see some things that are going on. We'll take uh, the temple cleansing this week. But when you look at all of this. Jesus came into Jerusalem. On that Sunday, Palm Sunday. And it became Palm Sunday because of what happened with him. But there was something else of significance that was going on that day. Because the Jewish people were there in Jerusalem, some two million of them or more. And. They were in Jerusalem to prepare for the Passover. The Passover, instituted uh, when the uh, Hebrew people were being freed from Egypt, and Jesus said, take, or, or God said, "Take a lamb. Watch that lamb from the tenth day to the fourteenth day. I believe that's right. Make sure that that lamb has no spot and no blemish." That there's nothing wrong with it. That it's not lame, it's not blind, it has no sickness, no illness, no skin disease or anything. And on the 14th day, you sacrifice that lamb as the Passover lamb. You take his blood and you put it on the doorpost and the lintel. Jesus Christ was that Passover lamb. Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem on sheep choosing Sunday. The day the Hebrew people would choose the lamb. That they were going to sacrifice. And for the next four days until Thursday evening, guess what? They would watch that lamb. They would make sure that lamb had no illness, no sickness. Jesus came into uh, Jerusalem on that day. And I've read that he didn't come in through the normal gates. He came into Jerusalem through, anybody guess what gate? The shepherd's gate or the sheep gate. Why? Because he was the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And for all of that week, until the time that he was arrested, and even after that, while they were putting him on trial, he was teaching in the temple, and they were asking him questions, why? To find out if there was any sin in him. To find out if there was any blemish, anything wrong. And at the crucifixion, at the, um, before the crucifixion, at the trials, they said, I find no fault in him. They looked at the Lamb of God, and they found no fault. He was a perfect lamb. The only one, the only one who could die on the cross, wash away your sin and my sin, take away the sin of the world. And so when they ask this question, who is this? And they say, well, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. They're right. They're just not right enough. And so we look around in our world today, and and they think about Easter And what is Easter to many of them? It's Easter eggs and candy and chocolate bunnies and stuff like that and and maybe brand-new fancy clothes. That's not all it is. That's not all it is. Easter is the day that the Lamb of God rose from the grave because he shed his blood so that you and I and anybody who would put their faith in him could be forgiven of their sin and could have eternal life. So the question that we have to answer today, and I believe most of you probably have, is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Is he just the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee? Just somebody who shared a lot of cool sayings, a lot of great teachings? Was he a great teacher only? Or was he the son of God? Is he? the Lamb of God who takes away Amen. your sin. So we're going to have a time of decision here in just a minute, a time where you can say, God, I believe in you, and I believe in Jesus, but I've never really, really believed in Jesus as the one who could wash away my sin. And now, Jesus, I do, and I'm ready to commit my life to you. And I'm going to be down here at the front, and if that's a decision that you're ready to make today, you come and say, Pastor Curtis, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I'll make you a deal. I know some people don't like this coming forward stuff. And so I'm not discouraging that, by the way. But if that's something that you're not comfortable with, after the service is over, stick around and say, Pastor Curtis, I still want to give my life to Jesus even though the service is closed. So let's pray, and then we'll have our time of invitation. Father, I thank you for your love and for your forgiveness. God, I thank you for all of the scriptures that were fulfilled by Jesus Christ, all of the scriptures in the Old Testament that point to Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the only one who can wash away our sin and make us whole in your eyes. Father, I pray that today, if there's anybody here that has never trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today will be that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.